everyone. Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about soil sampling. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on on, on your farm right now, you can certainly give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay. I, I want to start out talking about the soil sampling just a little bit, and we are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right away here in our first segment too. But soil sampling is a pretty simple process, but you want to do it right. And here are the couple of key things that I always tell people. If you want to be an expert soil sampler, you need to do two things, in my opinion. Number one, when you actually take a soil probe, you want to go straight into the ground, not at an angle, so that way you have a representative sample. Number two, you want to put a mark on that probe and always go to the same depth. So again, you have a representative sample. And three, when you are soil sampling, here is the way that I suggest you do it. Whether you set up grids or zones, I don't care, but what you need to do is set a GPS point in each grid or zone, go right to that point, and then step out of your vehicle, take two or three soil cores, so in other words, two or three samples, then on each side of the vehicle, just walk all the way around the vehicle, you get in total then eight to 12 cores, dump them all in your bag, go. So you got to be fast, you got to be efficient, and it's got to be repeatable. Because you are going right in one spot, now it is all that. What happens sometimes is there are people out there who will wander about their one acre grid or five acre grid or 20 acre grid or zone. Doesn't matter the size of it. They don't take samples from the same spot. And with technology today, you can set a GPS point in any grid or any zone, and then you can go back to that year after year after year after year. The other thing that I'll throw out, and we talk about this quite often, when you are going to be adjusting pH, then I'd really like you to have small grids or zones. I don't care which it is. But also, don't think that, oh, just because I have a zone, well, now I can have it be 20 acres. No, you can't. There's no possible chance that your entire 20 acres is all exactly the same. Do small grids or small zones. And the reason why I want you to do that is because if you screw up the pH, you have created major issues that will cause problems for you for many years and cost you a lot of total dollars. And I'll give you the example off our farm. So there are a lot of people in our society today that don't want to tell you about their mistakes. They only want to tell you about all the great stuff they've done. And if you don't believe that, just go to Facebook sometime. Okay, so here's here on our show... And on Ag PhD TV, we'll talk to you all the time about our screw-ups, so hopefully you don't make the same mistake. Okay, so here is our mistake. We had too big of grids or zones when we were soil sampling for pH and adjusting that pH upwards. In other words, we had some low pH spots in some of our fields. We thought the spots were bigger than they actually were. So we put lime on the whole thing, or at least on all these areas we thought were fine. Well, 
I mean, and by fine, I mean they were down in the fours or fives, and we needed to get lime on to get them back to the sixes. Well, the problem was our grids or zones were too big, and so there were actually areas in there that didn't need any lime at all. So the areas that didn't need any lime at all, they still got some lime. Well, now what happened? We overspent money because we spent money on lime and shouldn't have. Number two, we raised the pH excessively, got it into the sevens, which we didn't want, and that absolutely hurt our yield. And I could show you that any time. Uh, and then three, we had to spend money to try to get the pH back down. So we spent, lost yield, and spent more money. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. That is not good. And we didn't discover this until we went to one-acre grids. And then we realized, oh, no, we really screwed up. So I can promise you we will never put a pound of lime on our ground again unless we have one-acre zones or grids. Okay, If we're going to do five-acre or maybe even 10-acre, it's not a big deal for P&K. I mean, yes, that would also be beneficial if you were down to very small grids or zones. But I'm just saying what really kills you is that pH adjustment. So make sure you're doing a good job with that, getting small zones or grids when you're going to be putting lime on or before you put lime on. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, first one is from Rhett, who says, I'm wondering, do you see a return on your investment applying a starter fertilizer, 103040 or something like that? Farmers are trying to plant earlier and earlier. I see the benefit of having available phosphorus with the starter since our soils are cold at that time of year. Some farmers say they do see a benefit in yield. Some say they don't. I'm just wondering what you what you think. Okay, well, starter means a lot of different things. I'd put it this way. If we're talking pop-up fertilizer and furrow, yes, we see a return on our investment. If we have our soil fertility levels built up to off-the-charts kind of levels, then no, we don't see a return on investment with the 2x2. Two two. So the reason why the in helps so much is you can get faster emergence, you get nutrients to that plant right away. And keep in mind, we aren't running very high rates here. We're talking one to maybe four gallons in furrow in corn, less in other crops. But yes, we do like it. We get drier corn, we get faster emergence. We might gain a little bit in yield. Sometimes it's not a tremendous amount if our overall soil fertility levels are high, but pop-up we're in favor of, two by two not. If we have, again, very, very high overall soil fertility levels. Otherwise, if we have lower fertility levels, then two by two works as well. Oh, but be smart. Test your soil first, find out what you actually need and put that on rather than just putting, oh, I put 1034 on just for fun. I, no, you got to be short on phosphorus for one and two, you better keep it away from the seed because 1034 is high salt. Yeah, that's going to be the thing too. You just don't want to get carried away with that rate. You don't need a whole lot to to make a difference and here's one of those things in farming where some is likely going to be good more might not be hey thanks for the question rep we really appreciate that you're listening to ag phd radio we'll be right back give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with mycoapply endoprime sc MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. 
Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriophil moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about soil sampling on our show, we do get a lot of questions about this, and we we get an awful lot of soil tests sent to us, which is great. We're happy to take them. Our email address is radio at agphd.com. If you've got questions about your soil tests or what's happening in your fields, we would love to help you if we can. And so today's show, as we're talking about this, if you've got questions that come up, our phone lines are going to be open throughout the whole show at 844 844- 44 ag phd uh let's um let's start working on this right away we've got reed abbott with us he's with agro liquid he's the great great plains regional agronomist for them uh reed how are you doing today doing fine how are you doing we're doing quite well now when we're talking about soil sampling i'm sure you get a lot of questions as you travel around the region uh what are some of the common ones or, or what would you like your growers to understand about soil sampling well, uh, as you know, I mean, yes, for sure, we get we get a, a variety of questions from from our growers on on soil testing, being that we're a fertilizer company. But uh, the the big thing that uh, I, I like to focus on is just a balance. I mean, uh, you know, guys, a lot of times just get in the rut of N, P, and K, and uh, there's a lot more numbers there on that soil test to take a look at and make sure that our uh our crops meeting or that that soil is meeting that crops needs uh from top to bottom so no that's that's a good point we just had a question at the end of our last segment for our commercial break about how do i know whether putting on fertilizer at planting time is going to pay or not i'm sure you get that question a lot that some years you see great big gains other years not as much there's obviously a lot of variables that go into that uh what what do you tell farmers with that question yeah, I mean, of course, uh, if you're in the northern part of the United States or, or even planting early in some of our southern parts, uh, you know, when those soil temperatures are cold, uh, you know, despite what's on your soil test uh, and and uh, uh, what they say is available, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's available at that time. When those soils are cold, uh, you don't have a whole lot of microbial activity going on, not a lot of, uh, you know, 
weathering of that that old uh, do those types of things. Uh, that planter time fertilizer can can very uh, very well do you a whole lot of good uh, when it comes to bringing you some return on that investment. Now, one other question we get a lot as we get closer and closer to planting time here is strip till. And I would imagine you have a number of farmers you work with that are doing strip till. Do you mix things up that way? Do you still do things with your planter when you're putting fertilizer in that strip? How do you handle it? Yeah, I, I mean, I do uh, still like to run uh, fertilizer in with a guy's planter if he's got that capability. I mean, uh, you know, with any guy's operation, you got that good, better, best option. And, and uh, I certainly don't mind putting uh, fertility down in that strip till we've got a lot of guys that do it and are successful. And, uh, you know, depending on what you're using, there are limitations with what you can put out with that planter. So, mixing that up is good. Uh, I like to see a guy put out, uh, like I said, that that fertility in that planter uh, band, whether that's in furrow, two by two, right there close to that seed, uh, just so that we get that early season, that first couple of weeks uh, advantage. Um, then, of course, you know, you've got that strip till there uh, to kind of uh, take care of the, of the rest of the season. We apply some of those nutrients that aren't as friendly right there in that band, like sulfur or high amounts of nitrogen, that kind of thing. Uh, keeping that away from the seed is not, not all that bad when you're talking about some of those nutrients. Now, some market prices bounced up here recently. We started getting a lot more questions about micronutrients, and I find when growers see a good opportunity to make money, they they do seek that balance that you were talking about earlier. Are you getting a lot of questions about micros? And if so, for, for farmers that say, you know, I don't normally put much on other than maybe a little bit of zinc, what are you recommending going into this spring? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, like you said, with crop prices coming up, there's there's going to be a little bit of room uh, in these guys' budgets to, to take advantage of some of those opportunities. Um, you know, yeah, there is more uh, opportunity out there than just zinc. Um, you know, manganese and boron a lot of times are, are limiting on some guys' farms as well as iron. Um, and that, that comes back to that soil sample. I mean, uh, I hate to tell a guy just to you know, throw the kitchen sink at something. But uh, if we have that soil sample, we can really focus in on what nutrients are limiting for a guy, uh, recommend those correct amounts, those correct rates. And, and yeah, with the crop prices uh, higher this year, um, we've got a little bit of a, a bigger opportunity to turn that return on investment, you know, multiple times if we can get uh, a good return, you know, bushel-wise or, or back in yield. So. Absolutely. And yeah, we find growing a healthy crop, we just build on things. Now we're putting healthier residue back out there and putting more of a mix of nutrients. So the longer we seek a balance, we find fields producing more and more as we go. We're talking with Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid. Reed, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Hey, you bet. Thanks a lot. Let's head out to Ohio. We've got Trent on with us. Trent, how are you today? I'm doing good. All right, we're talking about soil fertility, and we think about uh, sampling, and we talk about grid sampling a lot. I know there's a lot of zone sampling out there, and we just have tons of options today. How do you guys do it in your operation? Uh, we're actually doing grid sampling, and we're with a company that has an automated system to a grid sample, so we actually do half-acre grids. Wow. That's that's interesting. Okay, so as you're doing that, the half acre grids, then uh, Precision Ag, with all the capabilities there are, you're making adjustments every half acre. What did you notice as you went to that smaller grid size? 
Um, I mean, you can you can start to make zones out of the grids, but it is interesting how much variability you do you know you do get across the field. So when you're looking at a half acre grid compared to a five acre grid or something larger, you know there's a lot of different different variability in, inside those five acre grids. Yeah, I just immediately my mind goes to variable rate lime application, and I think, wow, that would be awesome if we we're going to be liming to make sure we hit it just right. Have you been doing some liming over the years on your farm? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean we we've we've definitely cut our lime rates a lot since I think the the whole sulfur and the air thing. Um, but yeah, we still we still do lime, and and we um, work with our applicator to do some pretty specific maps um, with that variability. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Okay, so talk to me about your samples then that you're pulling. What are you looking at primarily on your farm? Are there some things that you say, okay, we're really watching zinc close or we're really watching potassium close? Is there anything that you would say, kind of a general rule where you farm in Ohio that, man, we really have to manage this nutrient closely? Um, I'd say potassium is definitely the biggest one in our area. And, and sometimes, you know, potassium even pays when you have higher levels um, in some of our fields. Um, but I guess I, I, I was going to explain to you guys how my system works. Um, sure, sure. So, so how, we've, we've, uh, how we've decided to do our, our soil fertility is we do these smaller grids and we do them every five, six, seven years because they're pretty expensive. They come in about $25 an acre to sample that small grid. And so, and then to, to make that work, what we've been doing is using the, the SMS program and making kind of a ledger of our, of our nutrients, mainly P and K. And so we'll actually spatially record um, the soil sample point, and then we'll take the removal from our grain crops away from that point, and then we'll add in the fertility that we had spread or we banded into that spot. Therefore, we kind of have in our system a map of what we feel should be there, you know, every year. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I, We've had so many growers talk about, oh, it would be pretty neat if we were able to do that someday with technology. And, of course, everybody wants it just to be automated where, like you say, you've got an automated way of pulling the samples now, and that could just funnel it in and mesh up with our yield data uh, information. You're still doing some of this stuff by hand, but it's it's pretty impressive what you're up to. What do you find then? Have you been in it long enough now to see if uh, five years down the road you've got it? Well, um, I mean, one thing that it's, it's really done for us is made sure that we keep track of what we're doing every year and you don't, you know, you don't miss an application or um, add too much, you know, double apply. That way you're really doing a good job of of only applying the amount of nutrients you need. Absolutely, yeah. You've got to be really fussy with everything you're doing to make that system uh, work as well as it can. Hey, Trent, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping Dad. And Dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family our neighbors and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, 
built by farmers. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Man, that was great talking with Trent in Ohio just before the break, talking about how they are trying to automate things and really get very, very fussy about what they're doing on their farm in terms of fertility. And, you know, that's what it's coming down to in today's day and age. We've got to manage things pretty closely to try to make money on the farm and be responsible with what we're doing. Got Harry on right now. He farms in Illinois. Harry, how are you today? I'm doing better than I deserve. You know, aren't we all? And you think about uh, this fertility piece, and and here's something that I didn't grow up knowing very much about on our farm. We managed it a lot different, small operation, livestock, manure. You've probably heard that story a million times, but then the acres grew, the livestock ended up moving away, and we had to get smart all of a sudden on what we were doing. How about for you? What was your uh, transition like as, as you grew up through farming? Well, we still, uh, when I got out of the service, I came back and farmed, and we've had livestock, although the livestock hasn't maybe been quite as diverse as it is now. It's just mainly uh, cattle now. So we have a little bit of manure to spread on the ground. 
Yep. So when it comes to the rest of the fertility piece, then what do you find in, in your part of Illinois that you're running short on that you need to be supplementing? Is it P and K because you don't have enough manure to hit all the acres or, or are you mainly focusing on one thing? Well, we did, uh, after I watched uh, the corn school that you had a week or so ago, we ran through our data and looked at how yield has co- been correlated to P and K, and it shows that the higher the, the K levels, the higher the yield, and within reason, the higher the P levels are, the greater the yield. So uh, I'm, I think we've been doing variable rate fertilizer for a while, and uh, I think it's showing that the places that we have gotten built, built up through that variable rate are actually producing better now. You just got Brian all excited here. I love when when we were talking to somebody on the phone and I see Brian just completely light up. I'm like, all right, you hit a nerve with Brian. He's like, I knew it. That's He's so fired up about doing that on our farm too, tracking what our yield is in different parts of the field and then comparing that to, to fertilizer and seeing well, what's what's really bringing us the yield. Did you find a level of, of P or K where you're kind of starting to, to really get the high yields on your farm? I, I didn't get all that question. Oh, I'm sorry. was it was it kind of was there kind of a number like thirty parts per million? 50 He's just parts saying, per what's million? your what's your yeah what's what what's your level? What what does the data show you? You're trying to get to on P and K to maximize yield on your farm. Well, when we got up to the four hundred level, that's where our highest yield was. So we don't go too much more higher than four hundred on K and. Uh, as a result, I guess I don't know how high it needs to go in order to. <laughs> <laughs> so 400 parts per million on K. How about on phosphorus? Uh, we're in the 60s, and uh, okay, the, the that's uh, that. There's a few places that are a little higher than that, and uh, I noticed when I was looking at one particular field that you get some readings that are completely off the scale and they were still higher although not as high as the where the i guess where the optimum was so uh i suppose you can get too much and uh we need to we need to continue to push that envelope and find out where that point is yeah that's that's for sure i have a question for you oh sure go ahead Uh, harry i you were talking about changing your soil testing me where you test every acre versus two and a half acre grids or uh, sure and i wondered whether you if you look at the two and a half acre grids and then compare it to where you took them on one acre grids if you really see that much difference in the amount of fertilizer that you apply or the yields that you're able to get for us yes now i'm not saying that's true for everybody but what i often suggest to people is i just say look you don't have to make one acre grids or even let's call it one acre zones just very small grids or zones you don't have to make that a permanent change in your farm and always do it but at least one time look at some of the differences and see. And also, if you do it one or two times, you can variable rate things accordingly and hopefully even things up. And then, theoretically, you maybe could go back to two and a half or five acre grids. So for us, yeah, there was a lot of difference, but we have some variable land. We have different soil types. We have hills. We have all kinds of things going on there. And then, two, you can see it on the yield monitor as well. Now, if we had fields where 
okay, we literally hit like whatever, 225 bushel corn, and it's a flat 225 all across the field, then, you know, the odds are probably better that your soil test might reflect that. But we, we don't see that in our fields where our yields are consistent. And so that kind of led us to say, well, let's go to smaller grids and see what happens. And so this is our third year now of doing that. And we're, we're doing more than the average farm, in part because we look at our farm as a research farm. And the smarter we get because of that data, then the more things we can share here in Ag PhD. And like I was saying earlier in the show, we can figure out all of our mistakes and all our screw-ups and then share it with everybody so hopefully other farmers don't make those same mistakes. I thought it was interesting on that Next Level Farming show where they uh, said that uh, Dave Hula has had ran that, run that test where he puts the flags out and he found one of the 16 rows that was, I believe it was like 90 bushel less than all the rest of them and uh, had the question, what what kind of yield would he had if he'd gotten all of those rows to yield the same amount? Yep, exactly. So We've done those. Yes. Keep looking at. Yep, we've done those same things on our farm, and we've we've and so that that's important to find out. Hey, there is a row or a few rows that are off, but then ultimately the question is, okay, well, what went wrong? What can we do to fix that so it is better? But yeah, I know that's something that both David Hula and Randy Dowdy talk about constantly is the planter. Because if you start out bad, you do a bad job planting, you you, you can never recover from that. Correct. Yeah, that's right. We've got a lot to learn. <laughs> Not yep. big steps anymore, but little steps and those little steps add up. Yep, that's right. And I think they add up more because, well, number one, obviously the commodity price is higher today. But number two, when you start getting your yield level higher, and I think that's the big deal like for Dowdy and Hula, when you start talking 300, 400 bushel corn, I mean, all of a sudden, any little thing that you do might be several bushels. Whereas if you're getting 150 bushel corn, it's a bushel or two and you go, well, I don't know if that was worth it. But no, I, I, I know everything just seems to, to ramp up. Uh, we got a lot at stake here. And, you know, with these commodity prices, we have a good opportunity, I believe, to hopefully turn out well on the farm this year. So that's why we're talking a lot about this stuff right now, that you get the things right for soil sampling, for fertility, for planting. Hopefully you're going to set yourself up for one of your best crops ever this year. You know, we uh, when we think about 600 and 16 bushel per acre, we shouldn't be satisfied with 250 or 300. You know, there are a lot of people that look at... there to do a lot more. That's right. A lot of people look at the kind of yields that some of these really high producing farmers get. And, and please don't misunderstand, too, what they're getting on their farm. The whole average, their farm average is not that. But at least some areas are yielding, well, uh, what's Dowdy's soybean record? 191, I think. And Hula's corn record yeah 616 right 616 so that at least shows all of us as farmers that the potential is there the genetic potential is there so to your point yes i agree i mean we shouldn't be happy with 250 hopefully we'll find uh, higher yield levels on our farm and uh, again I, I mean we want to be consistent as we can uh, as consistent as we can across the field but boy ultimately we raise more yield with these kind of prices we're going to do really good. Hey, uh, Harry, we got to get running, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you.
appreciate the work you're doing. You bet. Yeah, the soil sampling thing has been interesting. I would say this, if you just asked me if there's one thing that you could get everyone growing a crop anywhere to understand better, I would say understand soil sampling and how to read those samples. It's really important. It certainly has changed how we're doing things on our farm, how we're managing things, and it's helped us to make more money and do the right thing for the environment too. We'll talk a little more about soil sampling coming up right after this. Stay tuned. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 
44 ag phd you can email us radio at agphd.com as well we're talking about soil sampling and just some tips and and some things that that you can do on your farm to start making more money now if you aren't doing a lot of soil sampling now and brian we run into farmers all the time and say you guys talk about these soil samples all the time but I don't know what to do with them, and they're kind of expensive, so I'm just getting whatever my fertilizer dealer pulls, and typically that means one sample per field or maybe a couple samples per field, and when we look at those, a lot of times, man, they really vary from one year to the next because you're only pulling one out there in a whole big field, so who knows where you pulled it from? Yep. Yeah, my opinion is I would rather see you do no soil testing than take one test in a great big field. I think you're you're, you're not going to learn a whole lot of anything. And in effect, what you're going to do is you're going to over-fertilize half the field and under-fertilize half. And you might really screw things up in terms of pH, liming, all that kind of thing if you take one sample. So I'm dead serious. I'd rather have you take zero soil samples. Just put on crop removal. If you say, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do five acre grids or one acre grids or any of this stuff. I'm only willing to spend $12 or $25 or whatever it is. And I'm going to do one sample. That's all I'm willing to spend. Then I would tell you, save your money. Don't spend anything on soil testing then, and at least put out crop removal so you don't screw everything up in your whole field. But yes, I'm a an enormous believer in at least one time on the farm do one acre grids it absolutely pays i haven't had it yet on our farm where i said yeah that i wasted my money on that it is awesome well and i think if you do uh, just what harry was talking about we had harry from illinois on just uh, in the last segment he was saying after coming to our corn agronomy workshop that that he went back and looked at where he pulled soil samples from and they matched up yield data points and he said wow uh, amazingly, every place that had higher levels of P and K, I had more yield. Well, wait a but second. But you though. don't know that if you don't do those two things. Yeah, that. And the more data you have, the smarter you're going to get at that. So I can say that's mostly true on our farm, but it's not entirely true because we have to look at some of the interactions. For example, with phosphorus, you look at the phosphorus to zinc ratio, you look at the phosphorus to copper ratio, and that will lead us to better conclusions as well. And it's all super simple stuff you can put together. But I did like what Trent said from Trent from Ohio earlier in the show, where he was talking about, look, we're doing half acre grids. Now it's expensive. So we're only doing it once every seven or eight years. I'd rather have you do that than soil sample every year and only pull one or two samples out of an entire field. Okay. You're, you're going to be far money ahead. You'll get far better data. You'll make way better decisions. You'll spend your money much better in terms of fertilizer, if you go to an approach like Trent. Heck, once every 10 years even, if you say, well, I just can't afford it, then do it once every 10 years. So in other words, take one-tenth of your fields, do one-acre grids. You don't have to do half-acre like Trent's doing, but you could. You get those small grids or small zones, and you are going to learn so much. You'll see. Just even take one field if you doubt what I'm telling you. 
Yeah, there's a lot to learn, and we talk about it quite often here, just stepping through soil samples and, and getting to understand them a little bit better, just one component at a time, one one little piece on of information on those soil samples at a time and paying attention to, okay, I'm at 10 parts per million, we're shooting for this goal. And if you're looking for more information on that, we've got tons of content out there online to, to look back up, all right, what levels do Brian and Darren shoot for on their farms? It, it's out there. Take a look and, and try and look at your farm, too, to see where you're at. Okay, right after I said my last line, I just got to thinking about occasionally I'll talk to some very large farmers or I'll talk to agronomists who are working with very large farmers, and these are the words that get said to me. Well, I can't afford to do that on all my acres. Or, along with that, I don't have time to do that on all my acres. Look, your job on the farm is, number one, make money, right? Number two, you got to raise your rate crop. Number three, you got to do the right thing for the soil and, you know, for the long-term environment and, and your soil health and everything else. Okay. So in those goals of more yield, more profit, better for the land, where does not having enough time or can't afford it fall in? It doesn't. My point is, I don't care if you farm 10 acres or 10,000 acres or 200,000 acres. It's all the same. If you can prove something, like we always say here, if you can prove something on a small scale that this pays. So doing smaller grids or zones and getting complete soil tests. If you can prove that pays, then why wouldn't you scale it up? So who cares if it's 10,000 acres? I, believe me, I know it's a big bill. We farm 3,200 acres. Okay, I, I, We have an enormous expense every year with that. But if I can make it pay off, then it's really not an expense at all. It's an investment. So you do with that what you want. But all I'm telling you is uh, I really like smaller grids or zones, especially with pH adjustment. And make sure you're getting a complete soil test so you find out not just NP and K, but you find out pH, cation exchange capacity, base saturation, all the micronutrients, salt, sodium. You you find out everything that's going on in your soil, and now you're going to make a lot better decisions on your fertilizer investments, and for that matter, on what crop you're going to plant and everything else. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Get this one from Zach in Nebraska, and he said, I purchased some farm ground that has a couple of old fence lines that break my field up, and I'm removing the fence. The problem is there are some trees in the fence lines that need to be removed. Now, I was wondering, is there a product I could inject into the stumps to decay them that would not impact my crop that I'm planting in the spring, which is going to be soybeans? <laughs> my thought is this would be cheaper than having someone come in with a dozer and dig them out and then having to spend time re-leveling the ground most of them are six to 12 inch diameter trees uh no nope there isn't now you could certainly try remedy if you wanted to but here's the problem when you start talking about well i want to decay this tree and you tell me well i don't want to cause any issues and i'm going to plant this spring <laughs> that's not going to happen now if you say well 20 years from now i would like to well, sure, we've got plenty of things that could deteriorate stuff very well in 20 years, pretty well in 10, and even not so bad in 5. But I, I, it's, it's, I think you're asking something. I'm, I'll just give you my opinion uh, that, that I believe is a little unrealistic. I would just rip those things out, do the best I can that way, and go from there. 
All right, got a question from Rob, and he said, I'm not a farmer, but I enjoy your show. I work on a golf course, and we have drainage issues in the winter, which is our dormant season for our Bermuda grass. In your talks about drainage, when you refer to organic matter, what do you mean by that, and how do you identify organic matter in the soil? Also, you mentioned that calcium can increase drainage. How does that work? Okay, so first of all, organic matter... And it could be, let's see, I'm trying to think, uh, humus. Uh, so it just depends on whose lab you're talking to and how exactly they describe organic matter. But organic matter is decayed plant and animal residue. And the soil lab will simply measure that. Okay, So it's fully decayed. Organic material would be something like corn stalks or soybean stubble, wheat stubble, anything like that, that hasn't fully broken down to become organic matter. In terms of the calcium and improving drainage, the reason why we say that is the two predominant nutrients in the soil, in in most soils, are going to be calcium and magnesium. Calcium is very large. Magnesium is very small. So the example I give all the time is let's say you're sitting in a room that's got, let's call it 20 foot ceilings. Okay. You're sitting in this room. You're sitting right in the middle of the room. You fill the room up with basketballs and you fill it floor to ceiling. Are you still able to breathe through the basketballs? Of course you are because there's air that gets through those basketballs. That's what in soil we call pore space. Okay. Now let's say we take all the basketballs out. We replace them all with sand. And now it is floor-to-ceiling sand, and you're sitting in the middle of that. Are you going to live? Nope, you're dead. You can't get enough air. And so think about the magnesium like the sand. Think about the calcium like the basketballs. Okay, calcium is just that much bigger, and it allows for more pore space so water can move through and air can move through. All right, thanks for those questions. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. I need the solve without the cell. With NK Seeds, I get people I trust who show me where their hybrids and varieties fit in my field without the heavy cell. So I get solutions that solve my problems from a partner who knows that success matters. Find your solve at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Doug, and he said, French drain alternative. Guys, you were talking about French drains on your show, and I've been replacing nearly all my risers with tile and packing peanuts wrapped. See, see the link below. According to engineers, 60-foot placed parallel to the terrace should handle drainage equal to a six inch riser and it eliminates the problem with manure hoses having weed patches bald spots in the yield map and so forth if you get a huge volume of water the riser is going to be better in my opinion but if you have a series of small terraces this can work and it's actually bone dry when i am out there to plant i've only had one wash over and it was easily fixed yeah and that's certainly an alternative to having a riser, which we would be in favor of getting rid of your risers. The, the, the issue we have with these risers, so basically it's the tile line that comes right to the soil surface. The problem is you now allow soil, chemical, and fertilizer to get right into your tile line and potentially contaminate downstream water. So that's the issue that we have with it. I agree the riser is going to be the best if you're trying to get rid of water in a hurry, but we got to think about well, what are the ramifications of that? And long-term, is that going to be good for all of us as farmers and for future regulations? Thanks for the feedback. Appreciate that. Got this from Josh in Illinois. He said, I'd like your opinion on a few issues pertaining to a weed and feed application in first-year no-till strip-till corn. Uh, background, he said, I've got some lighter timber soil, CEC, just under 10. Organic matter is under 2%. Uh, I can get 200 bushels, good years, 225. Normally, we apply spring and hydrus and run a field cultivator before planting, then come back post with Halex GT. This fall, we put 170, 170 pounds of actual N out in anhydrous late November. My goal is to strip till no-till, move to a two-pass herbicide program, and 
especially with commodity prices up, I was thinking I would like to add an additional 30 units of N or so. I don't currently have the equipment to side dress, so I'll be putting it out through the strip till. So first of all, I know having nitrogen in the ground in a band is best, but do you feel that adding 30 units of N broadcast with a stabilizer would be beneficial? And if so, what stabilizer would I use? And he's got a couple more questions. So, Okay, so first of all, on a 10 CEC ground, I can't in good conscience tell you to put 30 more pounds out in the spring when you've already got potentially your 175 pounds still sitting there from fall. So our advice when we're in 10 CEC ground is to never put on more than 100 pounds, 10 times the CEC. That's our limit. So if I had your ground, for example, I don't know, number one, if I'd even put anything on in the fall, but as long as you plant really early in the spring, so in other words, right when the spring thaw is occurring, you're probably going to be fine in terms of the loss there. But I still wouldn't have put more than 100 pounds out in the fall. And then I would put more on as the crop starts to grow. So in terms of what you said about I don't have any side dress equipment, you could just take your normal sprayer and and get some hoses for that. You could get Y drops. I mean, there are a lot of different ways you could do this whole thing. Um, 30 pounds is not a tremendous amount. I mean, worst case scenario, let's keep in mind, you could go right over the top of the crop if you put enough water with it. So if you go 10 gallons of nitrogen and 10 to 20 gallons of water, most of the time that's going to be safe if it's done all by itself. But anyway, I'm just saying it's a lot. So would I put 30 more pounds out with the strip till? No, I would not because I think you've already got enough in your ground. Also, in terms of banding nitrogen, there is not a big advantage banding over broadcast with nitrogen. There is a big advantage with P and K and zinc and copper, all these nutrients that don't move in soil, but nitrogen obviously does move, so broadcasting is going to be just fine. In terms of the uh, uh, stabilizer, it all depends on what kind of loss you want to protect. Just talk to your supplier there, but... It, there are three types of loss. There's leaching, denitrification, and volatilization. So if all you care about is the volatilization, for example, then you can get a cheaper form of uh, stabilizer. Okay, let me ask a real quick herbicide question of his, and then we'll jump yep. onto the phone lines here. Uh, he said his herbicide question here, he's, he was thinking about using verdict and glyphosate yep. to burn down winter annuals, primarily mare's tail, using yep. 10 ounces of verdict, yep. 32 ounces of glyphosate, yep. then coming back with meso glyphosate and atrazine post and yep i like uh, it wonder what you think about that and like then it. also for the burn down portion he's got uan in there and glyphosate would he okay. also need to add the mso or any other adjuvants to get the most out of the verdict yes i'd probably still add an mso to get the burn down activity out of the verdict you've got sharpen in there that burns down well burns down better with some methylated seed oil or crop oil all right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that, Josh. Uh, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Jules on in central Missouri. Jules, thanks for calling in. Yeah. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is, it's bugged me for a long, long time. You've got these fertilizer carts or whether you have your, your commercial supplier spread fertilizer for you, very rate even. It wouldn't make any difference. you got urea that weighs under 40 pounds per cubic foot. you got potash that weighs 60. And then you got these fertilizer dealer equipment spreader company saying they can spread this up 80 and 90 feet it isn't no just my problem it, all this stuff is all runs from like i said under 40 to, to over 60. how do we get this even spread and are we, are we are we losing some yield because we're not getting this even spread like like we like we need to 
<laughs> uh, so, Jules, I'll just tell you, on our farm, we started doing all our own fertility applications ourselves about 25 years ago, in part because of exactly what you're describing there. What we worry about is, number one, are things settling out? Number two, are we getting the spread that we're looking for? Because, quite frankly, if you have, let's say it's a spinner spreader, are you really adjusting that right? So with the floaters that we've got now, with the great big booms, I, I feel more confident in that, that we are getting it fairly evenly distributed. But who's operating that thing, and how often are they checking it? I mean, you can you can do a, a little pan test, you know, and, and put your pan underneath the whole thing and make sure you're getting the right amount of pounds or an even amount of pounds across that entire machine. But that still doesn't solve the issue of the different bulk densities that each of these fertilizers are going to have. So that's where it's really helpful when you have multiple compartments. So last spring, for example, on our farm, we bought a used floater. It's got three compartments in it. So now I can have three different kinds of fertilizer in there, and that's typically what we're doing unless we've got two that have the same kind of bulk density. So nope, I'm totally with you. I get it. And yes, I would be concerned, but there are absolutely ways around it. There are good fertilizer applicators out there. So you just have to double check with your supplier and make sure you believe they are doing a good job. I understand what you're saying. I grew up with a 10-foot easy float, and that fertilizer, the wind didn't bother. They only dropped the stuff Every seven inches, you drop the stream of fertilizer, yeah. and you only dropped it seven or eight inches. You yeah. know, you, you've got, but to do what we're needing to do now, it looks <laughs> like we're going to have to spread potash separate from the map. And then, of course, your end goes out of ammonia or something yep. else. But uh, uh, I just wonder how many people are losing yield and don't know it. Oh, I agree 100%. Well, it's just like our show today was talking about soil sampling. And, you know, when you're doing even five-acre grids, you start thinking about that. You've got over 200,000 square feet that you just pulled one sample from. <laughs> so are we really knowing what's going on there? And, and again, you know, we've got great big equipment now. So uh, like on our farm, we have 12-row corn heads. Well, is row two just as good as row eight is row three as good as row 12 you know what i mean so i i know i i, I think as time goes on with all this big equipment we're going to do a better job monitoring each individual row and i can't wait for the day when on the combine it's going to tell us in each row how we're doing for yield but i don't think we're even close to that today once we would would start to see that to start to see that row by row i think you'd start seeing more changes but i agree with you well, that, that's that's been proven we could get an even distribution going to liquids, but you can't you can't get high potash going to liquids. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. So I agree. But I will also say this is part of the reason why we use both dry and liquid on our farm. So we're hopefully trying to cover our bases. It's just like we used to with manure. Sometimes we'd spread one way, then we'd spread the other way in the field uh, just to make sure we did a good job with some of that inconsistent stuff. Hey, Jules, thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. You bet. It's always fun when we start off talking about soil sampling. We get into a lot of different things, and and uh, we talk about automatic sampling. We talked about just how to look at that with removal rates so you don't have to pull samples every week. I just can't wait to see the technology that's going to be developed over the next five or ten years to make this process easier and more accurate for us on the farm. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.